Our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 18. It can be found on page 18 in your pew Bibles. This goes all the way back to Abraham before he was even called Abraham. So we have Abram, who I will likely accidentally call Abraham as I continue through this. But you know who it is. Genesis chapter 13. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and for your word. And God, we ask that you would open your word to us. God, that we would hear, that we would listen, that we would understand, that we would become the wise people that you want us to be, that we would become people of character that you want us to be, that we would become children who reflect you as our Heavenly Father in all that we do. I pray that you would help us to have your priorities instead of our own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went to a pla- from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Turning then to Mark chapter 6, verses 6 through 13. We'll actually pick up in the second half of verse 6. It says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake off and shake the dust off your feet 
as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. David Wilcox introduces one of his songs with a line. I love it. It's a great line. He just says, um, oh, how does he start it? I always want to start it by saying, don't you hate it when? Oh, no, it says, let's just, okay, I got it. <laughs> it says, let's just say you're arguing with someone, and it's taking them forever to realize that you're right. I like that. You ever been there? You ever felt that? You're arguing with someone, it's just taking them forever to realize that you're right. <laughs> or maybe you've been on the other side of it, where you're arguing with someone, and it's taking you forever to realize that they're right, <laughs> which is more the point of his song. However, um, we've probably all been there, where you're in a <laughs> an argument with someone, you're passionately disagreeing about someone, or about something, and the, the question is, what happens, though? What happens when you don't? realize that they're right. They don't realize that you're right. You're stuck. What do you do? And, um, and this is an unfortunate situation, but it is one that arises. And it's something that comes in our passage today between Paul and Barnabas. And it's a weird story because Paul and Barnabas have been so united over the past several chapters, going along around together, ministering um, all through the area. And We've just seen what happened when they worked out some disagreements really well. I mean, not so much today. What has happened, though, is we had, in Acts chapter 15, there were these disputes, remember, within the church. And there were some people saying, Christians have to be circumcised because you have to join fully into Judaism in order to be Christian. And then there were others saying, no, you don't. You do not have to take on the sign of the old covenant. We are under a new covenant. And that was the whole disagreement. And they could not agree. And so what do they do? They go down to Jerusalem. They call the whole church together. They get the leaders of the church and they pray about it and they read scripture together and they listen to each other. And they say, hey, you know what? We really think this is what God is saying for us to do. That this is the direction forward. We have clarity on it as a whole group as a church. And so we don't need to split apart. We don't need to start a whole new church. We just, we can stay together and this is the direction moving forward. And so they write a letter to the church in Antioch and say, this is the direction moving forward. This is what seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. And this is what we're going to do. You don't need to be circumcised to be a Christian. All right. So we had in that council, this Jerusalem council, an example of how to work through these disagreements well and we also had the decision that you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. Okay, the passage today is really weird, I told you. And it's weird because you have an example of a disagreement again, but this time it doesn't, well, it gets resolved real well. And then you have Paul, who is part of that disagreement. Um, he goes on and the same Paul who's just been arguing, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be circumcised. We see Paul actually 
going and circumcising someone. And so at this point, it's kind of like, well, what in the world is going on? <laughs> what is happening in the church? And I think that, um, that both of these passages have to do with what we're talking about in the children's sermon of issues of priority. Paul and Barnabas are going to disagree. We're going to read that, about that in a second. But I think the reason they disagree is not because one is arguing for something good and the other is arguing for something bad. I think they're both arguing for good things, and they just can't agree on which one is more important. So let's take a look at that first, and then we'll get into the circumcision question, which is that's, that's always fun, right? Okay, here we go. This is Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36, and then we will be going through 16 verse 5, but we'll hang on to that for a while. So sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So far, so good. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not, con- and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, committed to the believers to the grace of the Lord, by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. All right, we're going to stop for now. This is the disagreement, and this is the result. And the disagreement they had, they both agreed, yes, we should go back to the places we've been before, to the churches that we started, and we should go check on them and see how they're doing. The problem was Barnabas... Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement, the one where we constantly see this about him as he's always building people up and encouraging them along the way, he says, hey, let's bring my cousin Mark. You know that from another area. They're cousins. And he says, let's bring him along with us. He's been before. I know it didn't go so well, but let's bring him along. And this might be exactly what he needs. And I think he's ready now. You know, all those sort of things making the case for why Mark should be included on this trip. And Paul says, no. No, he went with us before, and while we were, you know, whatever the reason was, he left. And he didn't continue. And if he's not going to continue, he's going to be a liability to the work that we're doing. He's not going to be an asset. And if we're going to go around trying to spread the good news of Jesus, we need people who are fully committed to this because this is going to be hard. And we know that. And so we want people who are in and fully in, not, well, I'll be in for a while, and uh, okay, now I'm going to leave. So he says, no, no mark. So what is the issue of priority? Paul is saying the mission to go around to these churches is more important than building up Mark or trying to help Mark along. Barnabas is saying, no, no, no. (laughs) This is a message that Yes, it's for everyone, but that includes individuals, and that includes the individual of Mark. And Mark is needing something right now, and I think this is how we can uh, provide that for him. He needs encouragement. And so Barnabas is saying, I prioritize Mark and his (laughs) well-being. And Paul is saying, I prioritize the mission of checking on these churches, seeing how they're doing, and spreading Jesus more as we go. Which one is right? Which one is actually a good thing to do? Is it good to build up Mark, or is it good to go check on the churches? Well, they're both good things. But they're disagreeing on which one has the higher priority in this specific case, and it's not the kind of thing where you can just compromise. We're going we're to 
take half of Mark with us? That didn't work. Not very well, anyway. And so it's either he comes or he doesn't. And they don't agree. And so they separate. And now here's, um, here's a couple things we need to remember. One, people in the Bible are people. They're regular people. And they are working through the stuff the same as you and I are. And so when we read that this happened in the Bible, that does not necessarily mean that this is the way it should happen. Sometimes things are recorded that are not how they should go. But it's how it goes. And so as I read this, and you may read this differently, and I understand that. (laughs) As I read this, I don't say, oh, good. (laughs) They had a fight and they split up. Yay. This to me reads counter to how the gospel is supposed to work in the lives of believers. And it is sad as we read that this happens, even with Paul and Barnabas. Now, the encouraging part is it happens with us too. <laughs> and so we can look at them and say, well, I guess it's not just me. This happens with them too. But it's also the kind of thing where even though they're not able to work this out, they're not able to come to an agreement, neither one says, okay, we'll go your way, and they end up having to split up, it does seem that even though that's the case, if we look on down the road, it does seem that God still blesses both of their missionary journeys, that he is still with them even though they couldn't be with each other. And we know from not the book of Acts, but from other books that Paul writes later, that Paul and Barnabas worked it out eventually. Paul and Mark worked it out eventually. (laughs) To the point that when he writes to Timothy, he says, you know, he's in prison. He says, I don't have anyone with me. Uh, well, not much anyway. And he says, so come to me and bring Mark with you because he's important to me. He's useful to my ministry. And that's the same Mark. It's the same Mark, by the way, who actually wrote the gospel of Mark. This is a guy who did, uh, you know, he may have had his history and his leaving for whatever reason he left that, uh, that original mission. But he comes around. And God uses him for amazing things. And so I think, you know, on the one hand, Barnabas gets it. Yes, Mark is someone God is going to be using. And Paul is right in that we need to go on this missionary journey, and you're going to see the ways that God uses that as well. And so uh, the fact that they split, I don't want to say, well, because good things came from it, that was a good thing they did. I don't know about that. I think we have all kinds of examples of people doing wrong things and still God able to work through the wrong things. And you think one of the (laughs) best examples of that is at the end of Genesis where Joseph says to his brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. That your actions were bad. They were really bad. Your motivations were bad. They were really bad. And yet, God was still able to use all that for the saving of many lives. And you look at the same thing with Jesus going to the cross. And it's the actions that the people did to bring him to the cross were not good. And yet, God was able to use that for good, for the saving of many lives. And the same thing here. I really do think that them splitting the way they did was not a good thing. And yet, God was able to use that. So I don't think we can just look at the, um, if God's able to use it, it must be a good thing. I don't think so. I also find it interesting that as you read through the... um, 
the disagreements they've been having within the church and the way that they resolve those, and it really describes how they're able to work through those differences, the way they look back to what God has said, the way they listen to each other, all those sorts of things, and you read through the description of Paul and Barnabas' disagreement with each other, how much of those steps did they follow? I don't know. But none of it's recorded. It's just they couldn't, they couldn't work it out. So did they follow those here and still not be able to work it out, or did they just disagree and say, hey, let's just go our separate ways? I don't know. Um, this is well, an issue of priority. Moving on then to chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. We now will follow. This is the last time we hear about Barnabas in the book of Acts. We'll follow Paul from now on in his particular journey. And so it says, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. All right, this one ought to strike us as weird because they just had this whole council together to figure out what do we do about the circumcision question. Do Christians need to be circumcised or not? And the resounding answer was no. They do not need to be circumcised. And then here Paul goes on his journey, and one of the things he's doing is letting people know what it is that the uh, church has decided on this issue. And then one of the things that it says that he does, first thing, is circumcises someone. Why? Is he going directly against what he's preaching? Is he going directly against what the council has said? No. He's not. And this is the weird part about it. The question that the council was asking is, do you have to be circumcised to be saved? Do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? And the answer was no. Now for Timothy... Does Paul circumcise him so that he can be a Christian? No. That he can be saved? No. Why does he circumcise him? As a mission strategy. As a mission strategy, as a way to be able to reach out to people who need to hear the good news of Jesus, but who won't be able to because Timothy, being uh, part Jewish but part Greek, we don't know what to make of this guy. And so they wouldn't even be able to listen because of who they understand him to be. And so Paul says, if this is going to be a barrier to people hearing the message, we'll take care of that. And this is what Paul says even about himself in um, 1 Corinthians, in chapter 9. And he says, uh, Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, so to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Admittedly, 
it gets a little wordy. <laughs> uh, but I think that comes through clear enough that what he's saying is, I want to remove any barrier there might be for people to be able to listen, to be able to hear the good news about Jesus. And so the issue of circumcision, when the church was asking that question, the question was not, is it okay for someone to get circumcised or not? The question was, what is the function of circumcision? Is that something that is essential for believers in Jesus to take on the whole old covenant? I said no. But now the question for Paul is with Timothy. What is, the, what is the nature of circumcision there? What is its role? Is it to make Timothy a Christian? No. It's to make Timothy an effective witness among people who are circumcised. That they would be able to listen to him. That they would be able to hear the message of Jesus. And so this is what we see uh, throughout. We have um, in both of these cases, between Paul and Barnabas, in the case of Paul then and Timothy, we see these issues that get raised, and we go, what do you do with that? And in both cases, it is, we go to priority. How do these things work out? Especially when you have uh, things that are good, and yet, you can't do both. Paul is half uh, Greek. He's half Jewish. You don't want to half circumcise him. Mark, one person wants him to go. One person doesn't want him to go. You can't half have him go. So what do you do when you're at those places where it is one or the other? Compromise is not going to work. What do you do? And in those cases, what seems to be clear here is that it becomes an issue of priority. But what do you do when you don't agree on the issues of priority? And unfortunately, that particular passage doesn't answer this for us. What do you do? The good news there is we do have other passages, like the ones we just read in Acts 15, where we see what to do we see about examining scripture, we see about listening to each other, we see about having conversations that really do have finding the right way forward together as their object. But we also have passages, like the ones we read earlier from Genesis, where Abraham and Lot and their herders are not able to live together, and they have to separate. And we see uh, Jesus saying to uh, the disciples, as they go out, if people don't listen, then you move on and you separate. And all of those remind me of what Jesus taught about divorce. And when the people came to him and they said, is it right to get divorced for any and every reason? And Jesus said, when people get married, they're supposed to stay married. And they said, yeah, yeah, but, but Moses said we could get divorced. And Jesus said, yes, he did. And the reason he said you could get divorced is because your hearts are hard. Because for any people to come together, they both have to be willing to come together. And if either one isn't or if both aren't, it's not going to work. 
And in that case, it's not the ideal situation. It's not the reason that marriage was created. But he said, in that case, that's why divorce is allowed. And we've looked at the case of divorce before and uh, looked even in the Old Testament where it says God hates divorce. I talked about the reason that God hates divorce is because it's not the way that he intended things to be, because it's not the way that he intended marriage to go. But that even though it causes pain for everyone involved, and that's why he hates it is because he loves his people, that God hates divorce, but he does not hate divorced people, right? The reason he hates divorce is because it hurts his people. And I think the same thing is true here when we're looking at these various reasons. Would it have, did Abraham and Lot, they, were they supposed to separate like that? I don't know. Doesn't it seem like it would have been a lot better if they had been able to work out their differences and stay together? But when they couldn't, when they couldn't stay together, they had to separate. Wouldn't it be better when Jesus' disciples went out to these towns if the people would actually accept the message and they could stay there and continue to minister among them? Of course. But when they can't, when they're refusing to listen, when their hearts are hardened to the message, just move on. When Paul and Barnabas can't come to an agreement, maybe one of their hearts was hard, maybe both of them were. They can't come to an agreement, so they move on. This is also a situation where um, we've been through this together as a church. Wouldn't it have been better if we didn't have to change denominations, but have been able to stay as one denomination, where we were all able to move forward together, all in unity, following the same Lord and the same mission? But when we couldn't, we had to move on. Is that the way it's supposed to be? I don't think so. I don't think we're supposed to have thousands of Christian denominations and yet still have one Lord Jesus. But that's where we are. Good news, though. Good news is we look at Paul and Barnabas splitting It would have been so much better if they could have worked this out. They could have stayed together somehow. But we do have in their example that even though they split, that they weren't able to work it out, that didn't mean God was done with them. That he continues to work through Barnabas, that he continues to work through Mark, that he continues to work through Paul, and he continues to work through Silas. And as they go their separate ways, God still goes with them. And when it comes to an issue of priority, Our priority, our priority should be reconciliation. That's what the gospel is about, right? That Jesus came to save sinners, that he came to reconcile us to God and us to each other. And he has given us, as Paul says later, the ministry of reconciliation. We should be made right with God and right with each other. So that should be our priority. In our society, in our culture today, our priority is, is if at first we don't agree, get away. (laughs) Run away, split, just go somewhere else. We would rather be away from each other than have to work through anything. Christian priority is reconciliation. 
go to your brother. If you are offering your gift there at the altar, as Jesus says, and they remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Right? Our priority should be reconciliation. And only after serious attempts at reconciliation, if we find out it's not, there is no compromise, there's no way it works, then we can walk. We can walk away. But we should do so as those who grieve the loss of that relationship. But we should also do so confident that God still loves us and that he still is going to work with us and in us and through us where we go and the others as well. So, priorities. Priorities, priorities. And we have the mission as our priority, and we have the gospel as our priority, and we have reconciliation as a priority as we seek to love God and love others in the name of Jesus. Amen.